Good morning. I'd like to uh, invite you, as I'm uh, getting myself together here, to uh, find 1 Corinthians in your New Testament. And uh, we'll begin reading at the first chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 is where we will begin. And as you are arriving there, let me invite you to uh, close your eyes, bow your heads, but open your hearts as we invite uh, God's Spirit to be a part of our uh, learning together in His Word today. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for... Uh, the good gifts that we have already enjoyed today. We thank you for the gift of uh, your presence and the gift of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize you in your word, that we would hear your voice, that we would uh, sense your moving, that we would um, be uh, tender to your touch. And Lord, that uh, any uh, cynicism or uh, doubt uh, distraction uh, that would prevent us from being open to you today uh, would be just for a moment set aside. Lord, thank you that when you find us, uh, you come with love and with grace and that you are in a process of healing us today. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of those things. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians, beginning at uh, verse 3. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you his grace and peace. I can never stop thanking God for all of the generous gifts that he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. He has enriched your church with the gifts of eloquence, and every kind of knowledge. This shows uh, that what I told you about Christ is true. And now you have every spiritual gift that you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong right up to the end, and he will keep you free from all blame on the great day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will surely do this for you, For he always does just what he says. And he is the one who has invited you into this wonderful friendship or this fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. Uh, As you've already heard a number of times, uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, as a congregation this year, we are using a Advent devotional uh, called Advent for Everyone, A Journey with the Apostles. And it's a little uh, devotional booklet uh, put out by N.T. Wright. Uh, we hope that you have all picked one up. I think we have one left. Uh, you can find them online if you need to. Uh, but uh, we just like to encourage you to begin today uh, with the very first day of Advent. And each day uh, there's a short reading to... Um, 
connect you with the significance and the meaning uh, and the gifts of Advent. Uh, The word Advent uh, is a Latin word, and it uh, has the uh, meaning of coming. Uh, It's uh, an arrival. Uh, And so Advent is the season in the church year uh, when we spend some time looking backwards and we remember uh, the coming of Jesus into the world. Uh, We remember that he was born. We remember the circumstances of his birth. Uh, We remember the promises that came along with his birth. Uh, We remember that Jesus has come into the world. And it is also, though, uh, an anticipation, right? Uh, Advent is a season of looking forward uh, to the promise that Jesus will also return. Uh, we look forward to the reality that, that Jesus is coming again. And so Advent always has both of these horizons in view, uh, looking backwards and looking forward, remembering and anticipating. And uh, we want to work hard to do both of those things this season. Uh, this Advent, uh, as you may have uh, guessed from the uh, title of the, uh, the devotional book, uh, we are going to be looking at a whole collection of texts from the New Testament uh, letters. And uh, the letters of the New Testament are going to help us to explore uh, some of the dynamics of Advent, uh, asking us uh, to consider how is it that we live more deeply into uh, what Paul calls here in verse 9, the fellowship of Jesus as we live in this in-between time, uh, in between uh, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. Uh, In Advent, uh, we often uh, find ourselves turning to the Gospels. Uh, We look at the stories of uh, the birth of Jesus, and we remember the first coming of Jesus. Uh, We talk about shepherds, and uh, you hear sermons about uh, mangers and angels and flocks and all of that kind of a thing. The New Testament letters are going to be just a little bit different. Uh, They are all about how we live in light of those stories, right? So in other words, uh, if the Gospels uh, tell the story, uh, the letters uh, help us to work out the significance of that story. Uh, The letters are the application of that story. Uh, The letters of the New Testament are the so what, uh, if it's true that Jesus has come into the world, and if it is true that Jesus is coming again, how then should we live? Uh, what is the meaning of these things? And so uh, this Advent, uh, we're going to spend some time uh, asking those kinds of questions. And uh, our goal then, uh, during this Advent study, both in the messages on Sunday and in the devotional reading, and hopefully in the conversations and discussions that you have uh, as, a, uh, as a consequence of those readings, uh, is, to, is to begin living our lives in an Advent shape. Uh, what is the shape of Advent? What is the shape of a life that is marked on both sides uh, by the coming of Jesus? And uh, we're going to suggest in this series that there are uh, some dimensions to that Advent-shaped life. One dimension is a dimension of thanksgiving. Another is patience. Another is humility. And another is joy. And so if we are living an Advent-shaped life that is marked and bounded by the coming of Jesus, uh, these will be dimensions of our life as well. And today the focus is on the dimension of thanksgiving. Uh, Living into Advent, living an Advent-shaped life, means living as people of thanks. Uh, 
giving thanks. Uh, Paul begins almost all of his letters with some form of thanksgiving. Uh, we read that here this morning, 1 Corinthians 1.4. I can never stop uh, thanking God for all of the generous gifts that he has given to you. Uh, if you went for a short tour through uh, Paul's letters in the New Testament, uh, you would find that uh, he repeatedly begins every letter that he writes with this expression of thanks, or almost every letter that he writes with an expression of thanks. Uh, in Romans 1, he says, uh, Let me say, first of all, uh, that your faith in God is becoming known throughout the world, and how I thank God through Jesus Christ for each one of you. Uh, he talks in Second Corinthians about, uh, he uses the language of praise instead of the term thanks, but in Second Corinthians chapter 1, he says, All praise to God, uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. And then a little bit later on in chapter 1, he says, He will rescue us uh, because you are helping by praying for us. And as a result, many will give thanks to God uh, because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered. So there is a theme of thanksgiving there in Second uh, uh, Corinthians. In Ephesians, he writes uh, in chapter 1, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for Christians everywhere. I have never stopped thanking God for you. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks uh, to my God. In uh, Colossians, he begins by saying, uh, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard that you trust in Christ Jesus and that, uh, and that your love uh, um, and that your love all of, and that you love all of God's people. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter one, we always thank God for all of you and pray constantly for you. Um, and on and on and on. All through Paul's letters, he's beginning with this word of thanksgiving. And what I think is uh, just uh, remarkable about this drumbeat of thanks is that uh, he's addressing in these letters. Uh, circumstances and challenges that most of us would look at and say that will produce almost anything but thanksgiving. Right? He's, he's writing to congregations. He's writing to real people. And as he's writing to real people who are trying to live in light of the gospel, uh, he's, he's writing to them about problems like divisions uh, in their churches, uh, anger in their churches, uh, immorality in their churches, dishonesty and deception in their churches, sexual exploitation and abuse. Uh, there are congregations that are questioning Paul's integrity as a leader, questioning his authority and his ability to even be an apostle. Uh, there are people who are getting their theology wrong and have a misunderstanding about who God is and who Jesus is and what it means to belong to him. Uh, there are people who are excluding uh, different groups. There are people who are playing favorites. It, there's all sorts of things that are going on that you would say, man, if I was facing that, the last thing I would do is say, I give thanks for you all of the time. 
And if you say, well, maybe you're just making much, you know, more of this than you need to be making of this, look at 1 Corinthians, our, our, the very text that we were dealing with today. As soon as Paul gets done saying, all of these reasons that I give thanks to God, every time I think of you, I give thanks. I'm thankful for all of these things. And then in verse 10, the very next thing that he says is, now, dear brother, stop fighting. Stop it. In short, Paul is giving thanks. And I think it's genuine thanks. Uh, the thanks that he's giving is not just a, a pro forma uh, conven- uh, convention. It isn't intended to be uh, flattering. It's a genuine thanks. But he's giving thanks right in the midst of really painful, difficult, and disappointing circumstances. And that's a very different response, isn't it? than the response of complaining or giving up or trying to hurt back. It's difficult to be both thankful and vindictive, to be both thankful and cynical, to be both thankful and depressed, to be thankful and fearful. And so I wonder what Paul has learned here. And I wonder what we can learn about Thanksgiving. I wonder how many uh, relationships, how many interactions, how many long sleepless nights, how many disputes, how many disruptions, how many places of discouragement would be impacted for the better if we could come alongside of Paul and learn what he has learned about living a life of Thanksgiving in challenging circumstances. So how does Paul give thanks? What does Paul give thanks for? And what can we learn about living lives of thanksgiving? The first thing that I want to recognize is if you were listening to that litany of thanks in his letters, uh, one of the things that really clearly stands out is that when Paul is giving thanks, he's giving thanks first and foremost to God. Thanksgiving is an expression that he, uh, that he gives to God. Sometimes it's called thanks, sometimes it's called praise, sometimes it's worship, but, God, but, but it's always God-directed. Direct, uh, God is his primary uh, audience for his thanks. And that's, very, and that's very, very different, isn't it, from being thankful uh, to the Corinthians or being thankful for what the Corinthians are doing. Uh, that isn't what he's saying. He isn't saying, I'm, I'm thankful for your troubles or I'm thankful for your challenges. Paul isn't saying, thank you for your support. Paul Paul isn't coming to them and saying, thank you so much for uh, backing me. Thank you for making me feel good. Thank you for how well you listen. Uh, Thank you for liking me. Thank you for all the nice things that you've said about me. And thank you for the nice things that you've done for me. Paul isn't talking about any of those things uh, because he's not getting any of those things from the Corinthians right now. And his thanks doesn't depend on getting them. Because the Corinthians aren't the audience of thanks. He's expressing his thanks to God. So he's continuing uh, to thank God. And he's thanking God very specifically because he says that he can see God at work in the lives of the Corinthian church. He says he can see God at work. He says in verse 4, he recognizes that it is God who is giving these good gifts uh, to the congregations. He calls them enriching uh, them with good gifts. He, he, he sees that God hasn't been miserly or stingy with his gifts, doling out just uh, barely enough, but that God's gifts uh, to this congregation have enriched them. 
this idea of a lavish gift. And these are the very gifts that just a a few uh, chapters down the line, uh, Paul is going to begin to take on because these are the things that are causing so much trouble for the Corinthians. They're the very source of some of the pain and division and problem in the church. And here Paul is giving thanks to God for for these gifts. The word uh, for gift uh, is, uh, uh, transla- is almost uh, always translated as grace. Uh, the word there is God's grace, uh, charis. Uh, these are uh, gifts of God's grace. And for Paul, almost every time that he uh, thinks about God's grace, he doesn't think about God's grace in the abstract, but he has a very specific, uh, concrete uh, idea in mind. And for Paul, sort of the epitome of God's grace, uh, he sees it as the inclusion of the Gentiles uh, in, the, in, the, in the family of God. Uh, if you were uh, living in Paul's day, you were a Jewish person living in Paul's day, uh, one, of the, one of the things that would be true for you is that you would basically have uh, uh, the world in two parts. Uh, uh, the world would be made up of two groups. One group is all of the Jewish people in the world, and the other group is everybody else. And if you are a, a Jew, uh, then you have uh, already been living in grace. Uh, you have already experienced God's grace. Uh, the Jews had God's law, right? They had God's covenant. They have God's care. They have God's revelation. Uh, they have God's temple, God's priests. They've got prophets. They've got history. They've got the story of the deliverance. They have all of the, all of the signs that God is already pouring out his good gifts uh, onto them. And the Gentiles, everybody else who wasn't a Jew, had none of that. Right? They didn't have any of those things. Uh, the, 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 the Gentiles had no access to God. The Gentiles had no hope. They weren't doing any of the things that they were supposed to be doing. And in fact, now this is, you're having a bad day when God himself excludes you. Right? God himself said to the Jewish people, don't have anything to do with those Gentiles over there. That was the program. God was the one who put up the division. Don't have anything to do with those people. God excluded them. And every single person who was a faithful Jew recognized uh, that the Gentiles were without hope. And so for Paul, uh, it's it's an extraordinary, mind-blowing demonstration of God's grace. It's, it's, It's just, it's an overwhelming display of sheer grace when he sees the inclusion of those who had been so powerfully and profoundly excluded. He said, this is amazing grace. Well, last week we spent some time as we were sort of pivoting to Advent, thinking about Thanksgiving and and we had the opportunity to put up here on a Thanksgiving tree some uh, concrete thing that we were thankful for in our lives. And I spent a little bit of time this past week reading through some of them, uh, doing the handwriting analysis and trying to figure out who wrote... No, I, did, I didn't do any of those things. Um, <laughs> you know, I have people who do that. Um, <clears throat> and what, and what, what happens is uh, so many of those... 
right? So many of those have some version of being thankful for family. Right? There's so, such a deep, uh, profound expression of being thankful for the families that we are included in. And what Paul is saying here is, is that, uh, that he can be thankful even with uh, very challenging people, people who stir him to anger, people who disappoint him, people who betray him, uh, because their very presence in the family, their very presence points to and underlines and highlights and calls attention to and celebrates the unmerited, undeserved, uncontainable, uncontrollable, always including more grace of God. And it's a grace that has also included not only each of them, but for Paul, no doubt, the man who refers to himself as uh, uh, the least of all of the apostles, uh, the, the one who, who claims that he has the least to offer, the one who is always questioning his own validity and his own authority as an apostle, uh, no doubt that the inclusion of those that he has is just shocked to see included at all strengthens his own confidence and his own joy that he himself has been included. And that these Gentiles, along with Paul, are now all included in the family. And he's thankful for his family and the work that God did to create it. So how does Paul know that they are included? Well, he says, because he can see the evidence of God's work in their lives. He says that he can see the evidence that God has given them good gifts. And the presence of those good gifts proved to Paul that those who used to be excluded are now included. He can see uh, the evidence of eloquence, he says, and knowledge. And again, he's naming the very gifts that in a few short chapters are going to be the source of a lot of angst and, and turmoil for Paul. But he's saying, I can see that God has given you these good gifts. And these gifts are the evidence of God's grace and God's faithfulness. Thanksgiving becomes more and more a part of our lives as we notice and wonder about and pursue and name and explore and focus on the places in our life and the places around us where God is working. It's a, it's, it's, Thanksgiving is connected to noticing and to recognizing and to celebrating God's grace. The evidence that he sees of God working in their lives, giving them all of these good gifts and celebrating their inclusion in the family, uh, good gifts uh, that are given by a good and gracious God, even though the Corinthians don't yet know how to use them, also then produces in Paul uh, a, a, a sense of thanks because he sees those gifts as not only evidence of God's faithfulness in the present, but as God's faithful promise to be uh, to return again in the future. There are two times that, uh, in these verses that Paul talks about uh, the return of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, and there's the connection between uh, Advent, the coming of Jesus, and Paul's thanksgiving. He's thankful that God is coming again. 
Uh, Not only is Paul thankful for the riches of God's grace, but he is also thankful for this promise that history is moving towards uh, God's intended outcome. That God is at work, that God is in control, and that the current mess that we're currently standing in does not define who we are, and it does not get the final word. And as a matter of fact, uh, he says that he is absolutely confident that in the last day, when Jesus returns, on the next advent, that the Corinthians will be presented blameless. Now, that's not to say that Paul is delusional. It's not to say that Paul is minimizing. And he's actually going to be very direct and and even confrontational. Uh, His next letter to the Corinthians, he talks about a painful letter that he wrote to them. And he wrote this painful letter because he had some really harsh things to say, and he, didn't, he, he couldn't bring himself to deliver it in person. But he says that he wept as he, as he considered the, the painful impact that this letter would have. And yet he has this thanks that, in the end, God's purpose and God's design and God's plan and God's, God's hand will accomplish what God intended. Thanksgiving suffers for us when our view of God and our picture of God at work is too small. Thanksgiving grows. Thanksgiving becomes more and more our native tongue when we see the picture of what God is doing not only in the past, not only in the present, but as we look forward to the future as well. And all of this is alive for Paul uh, because Paul says that he lives in a wonderful fellowship with Jesus. Uh, This is a fellowship that he says we are all invited to experience as members of God's family. Uh, the word for fellowship there in our text, uh, it's friendship. Uh, the word there is koinonia. And the idea of koinonia is uh, sharing in an intimate, personal relationship for a greater purpose towards which everybody contributes. It's, it's less like coffee hour and more like a SEAL team. Uh, koinonia is a powerful reality. Uh, Paul says that we're invited to have and to share in this koinonia, this sort of vital, immediate uh, relationship with Jesus, and that we can begin sharing in that fellowship right now. Uh, Paul says that uh, Jesus is the whole point of his thanks. If you look at these uh, first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, uh, he names Jesus ten different times. Jesus is right in the center of Paul's thinking. Uh, He can't stop talking about Jesus. For Paul, Jesus is not just in the past, a story that we remember. And for Paul, Jesus is not just in the future, a hope that someday he'll come again. But for Paul, Jesus is very much present right now. And that Jesus is here with Paul, in Paul's thinking, in Paul's living, in fellowship with Paul, on mission with Paul. And that reality produces thanks in Paul's life.
In short, that Jesus is everywhere. And so this Advent, my invitation to you is to enter and to enjoy that koinonia with Jesus. To enter into that fellowship with Jesus. So to enter into a fellowship with Jesus where you grow and we grow together the capacity to see the places where, where God is at work and to see the evidence of God's gifts. Uh, to, to grow in that fellowship in ways that, that uh, help us to recognize uh, the promise of Jesus' return and to lean uh, into a bigger picture of God at work than uh, would necessarily be indicated by our immediate or small uh, circumstances. To have a fellowship with Jesus where our life is launched uh, into a mission that is larger than who we are. Do you have a fellowship with Jesus today? Uh, for, for you, do you have an intimate, ongoing uh, fellowship with Jesus where that constant sense of thanks for what Jesus is doing in you and through you and around you is just a part of every day? My invitation to you today is to know this Jesus to begin to seek that fellowship, to invite Jesus to have that fellowship with you and to give him thanks for that reality. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, it is uh, our joy to have fellowship with you, uh, to be in an intimate relationship with you and to be on mission with you. Uh, we are filled with thanks for the ways that we can see the evidence of your gifts around us, uh, the ways that you have surprised us by including not only uh, people around us, but that you've included us in your family. And Lord, we, um, we give you thanks that the pieces of our life and the pieces of our day and the efforts that we are engaged in are all contributing to a larger picture uh, to a world that you are at work in, to, to a final outcome that you are orchestrating, that you are in control. Lord, we thank you for all of these good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.